So I'm sure you've already got plenty of other questions from past interviews of other people within the Halo community. So all these ones will be hopefully pretty niche and be ones you haven't thought of before, or haven't been asked of before. Hopefully some variety. Um, all right. Yeah. You went into you went into great detail with the historic Admiral memorials aboard the UNSC Everest, with emphasis placed on the great Admiral Yuish Sunshin. Hopefully I said that right. Uh, have you been a longtime military history buff? Um, yes, yes, I have, and Admiral. I, I'm going to look it up to remind myself of exactly how to say it. <laughs> but he is actually um, an admiral who is named in some Taekwondo forms um, as, a, as a great warrior. And you go through, and I can't remember anymore the, the actual saying, mm-hmm. um, or the actual... Oh, I can't remember what they call them. There's a little recita- recitation that you do before you start a form that now talks about some history, some aspect of Korean history. Mm-hmm. And, um, he is uh, named as one of the um, Korean heroes. Okay. And uh, it's kind of funny. Admiral Yu Yisun Shin. Um, yeah, he's a great Korean hero who I learned about through taking Taekwondo lessons. And so when I was thinking about which which naval heroes I should um, put on this on the on the bridge here on the the, the deck, mm-hmm. not really the bridge, but the uh, the command deck of the Everest, I wanted to include him. In large part because I really wanted to, you know, one of the things I try to accomplish with when I'm writing about the the human military tradition mm-hmm. is to try to include not just the American military tradition or the Western military tradition, yeah. but try to expand it to include all of humanity's military traditions. Yeah. And so I was really, you know, glad to include him in, in it. Um, while, uh, while Hector Nieto persists in trying to get John 117 and his Spartan two comrades killed, it seems as if the future president of Gao Republic holds some empathy for the child soldiers. Was this intended for merely evidence of Nieto's incredible acting prowess or something else? Well, I think, I think so, because when you, you know, I, I try to write characters that are complex and and three-dimensional and and by that I mean that characters who um, are more than just a set of goals and 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 drives you know they they have conflicting feelings and they don't always necessarily feel good about what they're doing um, but they you know they they try to do it, but anybody who's ever been in an, in an undercover situation understands that you're befriending people who you know you're going to betray, and you you know you you develop a certain amount of fondness for them and respect, um, and I think that 
I wanted to bring that to light with Hector is that, you know, he's not just a um, insurrectionist spy and saboteur. He's also, you know, a human being and somebody who recognizes John's potential, understands what it means, understands how bad, what, what bad news John and the Spartans are for the insurrection, but also admires and, and respects what they've been through and, and what they've become. Hard, hard choices for him, essentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. So for a Daisy 023, that Spartan, it looks like a... She seems to be sort of sassy and hyper-aggressive uh, soldier from the, the last portrayal of her in the uh, Homecoming anime from Halo Legends. Was there... Um, I guess what made you go ahead and have her be this sort of way inside the book? Because in, in, the, in the... I don't know if you've seen the, the anime. It's not like... you. I don't... I, myself, I wouldn't say you really get a huge personality from her. It's mostly just a, a story of the last times in her life. Mm -hmm. but, so, I mean, she could easily be this way, essentially. I'm just, I guess, it's the curiosity goes to um, where you got the ideas of her being this type of person. Well, I, you know, my first introduction to her was basically reading about her on Halopedia. Okay. And realizing that this is what she's gone through. And then, you know, doing a little bit more research for, on her. And kind of extrapolating from her experience and her kind of rebellious core. I mean, not all of the Spartans, you know, tried to escape mm -hmm. as children. And she's one of the ones who did. And the fact that she came back and the fact that she still is a Spartan, um, you know, that, that represents a certain amount of toughness. Yeah. But that toughness is not always going to be um, directed in the fashion that Dr. Halsey and, and everybody else would like, and Sanforth would like. I mean, yeah. she's a bit of an independent thinker, and I think that that's why she, she escaped in the first place. I think it would be unlikely that she would come back without some feelings of resentment. Mm -hmm. And I especially don't think it would be likely that she would come back without being a fiercely independent person who thought for herself. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, I, yeah, I tried to bring that out in her characterization. You know, I mean, she's not a major character, but, but when I presented her, I wanted to make sure that that, you know, showed through in her, in her personality. This next one, I believe, it's an only, I can't always, I'm always horrible with their names. Uh, Niza Kavrosi? Kavrosi, yeah. Kavrosi, okay. Was he able to cleanly cover up the death of the minor, minor minister of artifact survey, or would you say there were additional complications that he also had to work through? Um, no, I would say that, um, you know, the, the minor minister of artifact survey had a quite an inflated opinion of himself. Um, and I'm sure that he felt he would have been missed 
back at um, high charity. Mm-hmm. But really, he wouldn't have been. You know, this would have been he, with everything else yeah. going on. Yeah, there's there's so much going on, and and you know the Sanchiam are so political that unless they could find some way to use his death as a wedge for their yeah. own goals, they just don't care. And and I think that that's what Kavorasi recognizes and understands about them is that, you know, with them it's all about the politics. Yeah, you can use them to bleed them. Yeah, some and they, yeah they could almost care less about the war. Um, and I think he almost recognizes that. But, um, so I don't think that, that, yeah. And I think that he's, you know, to a certain extent foreshadowing the, the, the rift that occurs inside the covenant many, many years later. But I also think that, um, he's kind of recognizing the difference between what the, the Sangheili are trying to accomplish and what the San Shayum are trying to accomplish. I mean, he's, you know, he's kind of a, a person, personification of that tension between the two the the two races. I'll go ahead and move on to a few other more broader questions within a few Halo novels you have done. Um if you've ever made a uh, Covenant fringe species, what would they be? The Covenant what? Fringe species. If I ever named one? Yeah. Hmm. Hadn't even given any thought to that. Hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it, you know, I. that's the one aspect. I suppose that, that they could exist, but that's the one aspect of the Halo universe that seems to be pretty much set in stone mm-hmm. is that, you know, there are these species out there and, um, the, uh, writers anyway, the writers of the novels probably aren't going to introduce a lot of them because as soon as we introduce one, you know, that people are going to want it in the game. Yeah. Something else. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, it just, Honestly, they might let me do it. I haven't even asked. It would. I, I would say it would probably depend. Like, if it was, if it was something that wasn't within combat, I could easily see them not have an issue of trying to get it in game. But yeah. I mean, it, I think it would then be hard to not have something like that be in combat. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I like if I tried to bring Wookies into the game, I think <laughs> they would have. Um, yeah. An issue because you know that's something that that people would want to see and play, mm-hmm. and of course it's so complicated and difficult to introduce an element like that into a game yep. versus a novel. I mean, a novel I can just write them in, you know, add some description and a few chapters, whereas you know for a game it's probably a huge work for like yeah. six people. Yep. When uh, when you set up last light did you uh 
to, to be the prequel for Retribution? Did you originally mean to do that, or was it sort of like, okay, well, let's let's continue on with this? Um, no, I you know last slide I wrote pretty much without the expectation that there was going to be a follow up. Um, but as I was getting toward the end of the book, you know, I could see that there were some, you know, the gammas are just so damn interesting um, and so much fun that it kind of was like thinking, oh, I would really love to see this story continue. And um, I think as I, you know, finished up the book and turned it in and, and the editors read it, they, they were happy to, or interested in seeing the story continue too. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, so it wasn't really... Um, planned i mean the the gammas were an unexpected delight um 343 asked me to include them in the story but i think that they were envisioning them as being more minor characters um but just when i started to to play with them and write with them i realized how much fun they were and i just kept having more and more fun the more i wrote them i you know i just started really loving playing with them and so they become a bigger element in the book than I think anybody had really expected them to be. Although, you know, the book still followed the outline um, very closely. But within the outline, you know, we just were able to, to kind of bring them up to the surface and make them more important characters than I think anybody realized they were going to be. And that was really one of the unexpected delights of it. And by the time we came to the end... I, I think I knew that I wanted to play with them some more. And I think that uh, 343 and Gallery were both very happy to give me the chance to do that. The uh, the character Intrepid Eye is often, is often an overlooked character in the Halo universe. However, she seems to be a very powerful one. What significance do you think she'll have in the future of Halo? <laughs> oh boy, I wish I knew. <clears throat> um, I tell you, when I I got a a call from our editor at Gallery, Ed, um, he sent me an email saying, "Boy, have I got news for you!" This was before I knew I was writing Silent Storm, and I thought that that email was, you know, that Intrepid Eye is going to be a game character. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out that. Well, I was going to write Master Chief, which is actually very, very cool, too. You know, more cool than, than actually Intrepid Eye being drafted into the game universe. But, um, you know, Intrepid Eye has been given a lot of, of space in the novels, Last Light and Retribution. But I don't know whether that will translate into game space um i'm delighted that they've you know let me do the things they've let me do with her mm -hmm. um but whether or not that's because she's part of an uber plan that they have and she fits a slot that they need to have filled or whether they just see that there's space enough in the universe to to for me to play with her the way i want to i really don't have don't have knowledge about that I'll tell you right now, I'd just go over the, I'd jump over the moon if they did put her in a game, but, but I don't know that that's going to happen. Really, everything's up in the air. Not a lot of news has been breached out, so. Yeah, yeah, I, 
you know, I didn't know anything about Halo 5 till I played it, so. <laughs> and I imagine that it'll be the same for Infinity. And this one's a little, well, I guess it still sort of goes within Halo. What are your experiences in writing a Star Wars Extended Universe books and writing books for another sci-fi franchise like Halo? Any, any pros or cons or things that easily cross over and work out or don't? Um, well, it's all space opera, so at its heart, you know, it has a lot of elements in common, but Star Wars and Halo are, they're, they're a bit of a different creature. I mean, Star Wars is more of a, it, it has a lot of fantasy elements in it with the Force and the Jedi and, and... Um, it's much more uh, a story of good versus evil. Mm -hmm. Whereas Halo, there's a lot more gray in it. Um, you know, you, your heroes uh, are not necessarily sure that they're serving the the good side all the time. Yeah, you know, they're they're serving humanity. They're serving the UNSC, but but sometimes you know, the question it's not clear. Yeah, especially when they're dealing with the insurrection, it's not 100% clear that they're always right, which is one of the things I really love about it, is that, you know, you get to play in those moral gray areas. Um, it gives you a lot more um, chance to develop the characters and to develop the, the conflicts that, that they're facing internally. Um, so I think that that's primarily the biggest difference between the two, you know, and plus, you know, we're dealing with a military mindset with the Spartans and the ODSTs, and, you know, this is all very much a military mindset, whereas yeah. the Jedi is a, is kind of a warrior monk mindset. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're, they're a lot more concerned with individual morality, whereas the, you know, the in Halo, it's it's more concerned with what do we have to do to survive, and what do we, and what is the cost that we pay as people to do, to do that. These next ones are sort of broad, more I guess within your personal profession. Um, what was an early experience you had where you learned that language had power, at least writing? My earliest experience where I learned that language had power. No, you know, I think probably reading Edgar Allan Poe as a kid, you know, and, and reading, the, you know, The Raven, The Telltale Heart, all of those things. Uh, he was just so good at, at at scaring the hell out of you and, and really relaying um, the the utter horror that the characters were feeling, you know, through his words. So I think that when I really go back and think about it, those were probably the first 
books that I read where I, where I was like just gripped by the power of the words. Tolkien was also another one. I mean, he was much more gentle and not, you know, nearly as crushing in his grip of you. But, but he, you know, he, he pulled you into his world with his voice. And I think that that had a lot to do with me wanting to become a writer. I mean, I know that after I read my first Tolkien books, after I read The Hobbit when I was like 12, um, I was kind of drawn into the world so much that I just, that I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to do my own thing after reading that book. So now you're here. <laughs> yeah, now I'm here. How many um, unpublished or half-finished books do you currently have? Um, I don't. I have very few, really. I probably. I can have probably two that I've seriously started that aren't finished. Maybe yeah. Um, let me let me raise that to four because there were <laughs> that I started that ended up getting canceled um, because of scheduling problems. Um, the, the publisher had to change the schedule, and then I was just like, "Well, I can't do it on that schedule," and so we had to just cancel them. Um, but you know, because I'm booked for two or three years in advance most of the time. So if someone says, you know, we don't want you to do this now, we want you to do it then, most of the time I just can't make that change. Um, so those, so two that were canceled for that reason, two books that I started, um, one before I was ever published, before I published Waterdeep, that I started writing, uh, kind of a Western that, I probably got five or six chapters into before I was contracted to write Waterdeep. And then one, one or two, I think just one, yeah, just one book that I have been trying to find the time to write, but have never gotten to because every time I get like a month down, I'm thinking, thinking, okay, I've got a free month here. I can start this book. And, you know, before I get, a weekend of the month, I'm contracted to do something else. <laughs> so, I mean, whenever you got more opportunities to come up. Yeah, well, you know, it's one of the things about being um, a media tie-in writer is that as long as you, you know, as long as you do a good job, and that's what I really do try to do is to do a good job. Well, I guess we got one, one last one, I guess. Um. Not sure if it's already been asked before in past ones, but uh, what's the most difficult part of your process of within writing? Where is there not a lot of roadblocks, or um, probably the most difficult part for me is writing the first chapter, and that's because there's so much that you have to do in the first chapter, um, especially in a in a media tie-in book. You, you have to introduce the characters. You have to introduce the story problem. Um, and in the, the media tie-in books, you have to place it in relationship to everything else that's all around it. You know, it's it's like, um, you know, with Silent Storm, I had to, in that first chapter, make it very clear that 
you know, the covenant is just, this is the beginning of the covenant war and the covenant is invading and nobody knows anything about them. Had to introduce that John is like 15 years old. Had to explain what Spartans were because you're assuming that, that not everybody who reads this is a Halo fan. Yeah. You know, so there's, then you have to introduce all of the, the characters, the specific situation. So really, for me, and I don't think this is true for a lot of other writers, but for me, it's very true, is that that first chapter is really kind of just packed with information, and I'm always trying to find a way to squeeze one more fact into a sentence. Um, you know, a lot of times, if you, if you were to take my sentences in, in that first chapter and, and look at them, you'll find out that I'm like telling you three things in a sentence. Um, just because I get all that information squeezed in and packed in in a way that isn't an information dump, you know, that, that, is, that is part of the story itself. And that's what I've noticed with um, a few of the, the fans within the books, at least. It's uh, <clears throat> how, like, maybe information that they already know, but it has to be told in almost every book that might need it. That's like how it's explained. Because, I mean, it could easily just be thrown in there, like, the, you know, just the same definition or same sentence over and over, but... Yeah. Not really I try not to do that. I try to, like, you know, slip all that stuff in mm -hmm. almost without... I try to, you know, if somebody notices that I'm doing it, um, I kind of feel like I failed. <laughs> I want to, you know, make just slip it in in a way that makes it feel like it's all part of the story. But that's hard to do, and, and you know that first chapter is really critical because you you have to raise the the reader's suspense level. You have to make them want to find out what's going to happen in the rest of the story. Yeah. But you also have to set in their mind very clearly where they are at the time and who the characters are. Yeah. I think that leads up for all the questions I happen to have. Um, do you, I guess, I guess one that I usually always come up with at the end is, uh, do you have any other plans with, with Halo or 343 right now that you are able to talk about? Um, not that I'm able to talk about. Well, that's good news. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't, I can't really comment on it. I know that that non-answer is sort of an answer. Yeah, I was like, that's, that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it was really nice uh, talking to you, Mr. Danny. Thanks for this opportunity. Oh, it was great. Great talking with you. Thanks for having me on. There's, there's really
and, and you can fill it up. What kind of dog do you have? That's a chihuahua. I'm guessing chihuahua? somebody bad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so just got home. Yeah. So. I have uh, 15 and a half old husky shepherds. <laughs> I'm watching my dad's uh, blue healer right now. She's on the back, but. Oh, yeah. There's no Chihuahua Wendy's more yeah. furious towards, towards uh, Mona in the backyard. But. Yeah.